Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Question me, Rose. Run for your life. Fatality. I'm Batman. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Before we get underway, we're releasing this episode on the 20th of March, with the world being turned upside down by the COVID-19 virus. We want to take this opportunity to ask you all to please be safe, be considerate of others. It's not whether you're infected, it's potentially who you could infect. There are sections of the community that are going to be much more vulnerable to this virus than others, so please do whatever you can to be safe for yourself, your family, and your loved ones. Now, on to this week's podcast. Artist, cosplayer, fashion designer, and now business entrepreneur, Hannah Lees Kent has gone well and truly beyond the term triple threat. Growing up as a thoroughly nerdy girl loving Doctor Who and the X-Men, Hannah focused on making animation a career, which was also influenced by her love of cosplay. Today, Hannah has achieved no small measure of success in these fields, including working as an animator at DreamWorks, being one of the winners of the 2016 iteration of the Her Universe fashion show, and designing official Wonder Woman, Batgirl, and Tomb Raider clothing. And now, she's taking the plunge and becoming a business owner with her own venture, Moto Muse, that combines her love of motorcycles with fashion design. Amongst the madness of starting her own business, Hannah was kind enough to chat to us about many things, including her path to geekdom, her fascination with Rogue and Gambit from the X-Men, and the moment when her passion for cosplay crystallized her focus and direction in her animating career. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it... Completely salt-free. A completely salt-free rating from the diva, meaning there's no adult content or adult language in this episode, and it's freely available for all members of the family. Before we get underway, a reminder of the Fueled by Death cast, produced by the team at Death Wish Coffee, the world's strongest coffee. Fueled by Death is a show that asks the question, what fuels you? Very similar in sentiment to how we do things here at Release the Geek. They have a bunch of great content, having conversations with astronauts, rock stars, authors, athletes, and more. Check it out at deathwishcoffee.com, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify and be sure to tell them that Release the Geek sent you. And now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release the geek with Hannah Lees Kent. And now, we're releasing the geek. Podcasting is obviously very serious business, so we need to be very formal. Hannah. Oh, I I agree. Yes, yes, absolutely. Hannah, where yes. did your path to geekdom start? How did it start for you? I feel like I was raised to be a geek. Oh, so this is parental influence. This is parental influence. Excellent um, job. Excellent job. Yes, I agree. Good parenting. Uh, my my parents were both into sci-fi, mm-hmm. Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, I remember at a very young age watching uh, Doctor Who with my mom. Mm-hmm. Tom Baker was her favorite. Right. With the Jelly Babies. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I, I was mm-hmm. trying to explain that to somebody the other day, that he always had the Jelly Babies in his pocket. 
He oh, and any good Tom Baker cosplayer will also have jelly babies. And when you recognize him, he shares. That's a very good point. Very good. So, personal favorite of mine that. too. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't pulled up the fourth Doctor cosplayers just to check if they've got something in their pockets. You know, it, it's it's worth checking. Gonna have to do this. Gonna have to do it. <laughs> okay, so you're at so Doctor Who as well said that. Now. How? I mean, growing up in the, you grew up in the states, yeah. I did. Yes. All right. The, how easy was it to find Doctor Who? I know, I mean, I grew up in Australia. We had the British influence, so we always we found it pretty easily. How does somebody in the States find Doctor Who? You know, that's a great question. It, I don't know, because my mom was the one that pulled it up and watched it. So I don't know if it was like a PBS special that they were bringing some BBC over or mm -hmm. what, but. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you, yeah, so Tom Baker is your doctor. That's my doctor. I think it's because it makes me feel closer to my mom. Oh, nice. Right. Tom Baker is my doctor as well. I, uh, I started watching Doctor Who just as uh, John Pertwee transformed. Oh, wow. So I actually grew up, uh, I grew up watching Tom Baker episodes. And then when uh, Peter Davidson came along, that was crushing. Oh, I feel like Tom Baker's just a hard act to follow. <laughs> yeah, he, he was pretty tough. He was pretty tough. So you grew up in a geek environment, uh, strong parental geek influences. Mm-hmm. And uh, even my dad got me really interested in comic books at a young age. Nice. Um, so I, I just, I think I've just always had like a love for the stories uh, that you find in, in geek culture. It's not just your fairy tale like boy meets girl mm -hmm. boy loses girl they find each other in happy ending sort of thing mm -hmm. um you there's more there's more at stake a lot of times in these these stories and it was more interesting to follow for me mm. what was the first comic you remember buying with your own money it was an x-men comic Ec oh so happy so happy. <laughs> What did you? Uh, what issue? Do you remember? I don't remember what issue. Um, I will admit that the uh, the animated series back in the early '90s got me uh -huh. really interested in the X Men, mm -hmm. and I really loved Rogue. So yeah. I started looking up things that were like her story, right. and I remember going to the comic book store with like a list of all the numbers of issues I wanted to try to get her story. That's fantastic. And, and so I don't remember which one I started with because I got something, I think I got like two or three off that list, mm -hmm. but uh, it launched me into a huge collector of anything Rogue and Gambit related for years <laughs> to follow. <laughs> oh, well, well, there's, there's the traditional boy meets girl, boy can never touch girl, girl can never touch boy. <laughs> you know, that old, that old dated trope. Tale as old as time, man. Tale as old as time. How did um, how did your your geekdom come out at school? Was there were there clubs and stuff like that? Uh, your geek friends, etc. How did it uh, how did it go with you through school? Yeah, I was definitely an outcast kid for like most of elementary and middle school. Right. Um, and I will say. Uh, 
to back up just a smidge, I'm not a I'm not opposed to fairy tales. I also love Disney. Mm-hmm. I loved actually looking up the original stories behind each movie that came out. Right. Um, and so I think like, I, I just, I love stories of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And in middle school, I got really interested in, in Disney because I really wanted to work in the animation industry. Okay. And so I was kind of the outcast because while everyone else had grown up and grown out of Disney movies, Mm-hmm. I was still there drawing the, the characters and just practicing and just loving the whole idea of storytelling through this medium. Um, so I really didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> where, did the, where did the artwork come from then? Was that something that you picked up from comics you started tracing or was it something you always enjoyed doing? I always enjoyed doing it. And in second grade, one of my teachers actually, I think my art teacher was like, oh, Hannah's pretty good at this and told my parents that they were doing like a cartooning workshop over the summer or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were like, Oh, Hannah should, Hannah should join us for this. So as a second grader, I was one of the youngest kids in that workshop. Wow. And the, the local artist came and taught us how to draw Garfield and do different kind of like comic strip type things. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming home from that and telling my parents that I wanted to work in animation. <laughs> wow. And they would have been supportive of that, I guess. They were. My dad is a very artistic person. Actually, both my parents are very artistic. Mm-hmm. But my dad has always had like an artist's heart. And he is an amazing musician. He also has beautiful paintings and things. So I grew up in a very nerdy, artistic home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they were very supportive of it from a, from a young age. So that was from, something you yeah. took through school? It was, it was art classes? Yeah. Absolutely. So high school was where I at least got to start dive like more into art. Um, I was really lucky that my high school, we, we actually moved from Colorado to Georgia. It like right as I started high school. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea what I was getting into, but I was really blessed in that we ended up at a school that had one of the most wonderful art teachers. Mm-hmm. She was totally out there in a personality wise, but she was so on point in trying to actually teach us art and drawing. And, um, we were learning the things that when I got to art school, uh, I felt like my freshman year, we were relearning all of the same things that she took those years to, to teach us in high school. So, um, I was really lucky with that. And, uh, I was able to make some friends in the, in the art department. And I also was really lucky that our school had a Japanese class. So I was able to take three years of Japanese as my foreign language, which also had a Japanese club and everyone, everyone there like loved anime. So it was easy to deep dive into it. You are proper nerd. This is great. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, um, having uh, having done interviews with um, uh, a couple of visiting guests recently, we had uh, Donny Cates and Patrick Reynolds come out for Comic Con Africa. Wow. Um, they both went to Savannah. Uh, there was a school in Savannah, um, an art Savannah school. College of Art and Design, SCAD. That's the one. Is that? It, I, I'm now stunned how many people have actually gone to SCAD and moved into the comics industry. It just seems like it, it's a breeding ground for oh, it. 
Oh, yeah. SCAD is a great program. I didn't actually go to SCAD. <laughs> sure. No, that's but, okay. Uh, but uh, when you mentioned well, Georgia, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, SCAD is a, is a great school. And uh, I have several friends who have gone there and they do incredible work. Mm-hmm. Um, but with wanting to get into animation, uh, I was looking at what the top schools were for that. And right. one of those schools was the Ringling College of Art and Design. The Ringling and, College. Yes. And when I went to it, <clears throat> pardon me, it was called Ringling School of Art and Design. So it was ARSAD and now it's ARCAD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're probably fortunate. Yeah. A, a fortunate yeah. name change. It's not so sad. Yeah. So you with the Japanese club, yeah, you've got uh, the strong anime influences. So mm-hmm. you would have been introduced to Studio Ghibli, that sort of thing. What sort of oh, effect yes. what sort of effect did those art styles have on you? Oh, a completely new effect. Because I was drawing Disney stuff for so long and then getting into anime, I really got to play with this other style. Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like you're, uh, the first impression is that it's a simplified style, but when you really look at the different styles out there, things like, um, like Studio Ghibli has the, uh, they're cute, but they're detailed. Mm-hmm. And then you've got things that are a little more simplified, like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Clamp who just goes all out with, yeah. with everything. So it was, it was really fun. Um, and I think for me really getting into anime during high school, that's a period of time where you're kind of feeling, you're feeling more adult, whether you are or not. And, <laughs> and that, anime that delusion with, that comes over you. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're thinking about things a little less innocently, let's say. <laughs> and, and it was nice to have anime where it was, it was a little rougher around the edges. It was a little more, uh, it didn't always have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And so it was really a great way to kind of express all of these emotions I was having from hormones into art and things. Sure. And uh, and feel a little hurt, even if no one ever saw what I was working on. Right. What was the first anime that you remember really having an impact? <laughs> so... <laughs> you don't have to answer my- this question. You don't have to answer any of my questions. Oh, no, I I am happy to. So the one that I consciously remember having an impact was actually Pokemon. Right. Um, I I was babysitting a lot. And so the kids that I babysat watched it and I would sit and watch it with them. And I'm like, this is actually kind of fun. Before I know it, I'm like making a Jesse costume to wear to the movie premiere and, (laughs) you know, collecting the cards and doing all this stuff. And it really, it really was the thing that opened the door for me to anime and like right. what else it could be. Um, okay. And then years, oh, sorry. No, no, go on, go on, please. Uh, years later, I realized that there are a lot of uh, movies and things that were actually like animated and designed in Japan. Things like The Last Unicorn and mm. um, oh, it's like the Fire Print, Fire Prince and Water Child or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a Swan Lake, like things that I grew up watching when I was a child and had no idea that they were anime, technically. Right. Where, where did, is this where the cosplay started then? Did, did Was Jesse your first cosplay? 
She was. She was my first, I'd say, unofficial cosplay because I did it for Halloween and mm-hmm. then for the movie premiere. Right. But uh, I, so in collecting Pokemon cards, I would go to this store at the mall called GameStop. Mm-hmm. And yes. one of, like, the guys in there were so awesome. They were like nerds. They, talk shop like they would share all these great suggestions with me of things to watch mm-hmm. um and one of the guys travis was like oh i'm going to this convention up in north carolina called An- Amazement. like you got you should start looking into conventions they're really fun mm-hmm. and i was like you you can go to places and like hang out with just people who are into this this is awesome <laughs> um and uh so I found out about Animazement. I found out about cosplay through all of this, that it had a name. It wasn't just dressing up. Um, because growing up, my, my mom's creativity, she always made our Halloween costumes. Like, right. I had never bought a store-bought costume. We would, she would sew them and make them herself, and I would help sometimes. But uh, finding out about cosplay and that I could do this more than just Halloween and actually have people know what I am was mm-hmm. just so exciting. So uh, I didn't make it to Animazement because as as a high school kid without a car, mm-hmm. it just wasn't possible. <laughs> Mom, this really nice but, guy at the mall wants to take me to a convention in North Carolina. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, that was definitely not <laughs> something my mom was okay with. <laughs> What was the first convention you ended up going to? I went to Anime Weekend Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, and it was awesome. My mom totally rallied behind wanting to support me diving into this new world, and so she helped me make um, a Rei Ayanami costume (laughs) from from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Wow. And she dressed up as Ritsuko to go with me. Wow. Which is awesome. And I, the, we, it's definitely a first person, first time costume. It's not the best, mm-hmm. but I had the best time, which is evident by all of my photos of me just grinning so uncharacteristically <laughs> for Ray and splashing the peace sign because I'm having the best day. <laughs> but it was great. Looking, looking back at that now, how important was... How important do you feel the parental support was in these geek activities? There's a lot of people that we speak to. It's the the geek activities tended to be um, solo because either parents didn't understand, they weren't necessarily supportive. This is this is not something that you should be doing, etc. Mm-hmm. How looking back on this now, how important was that support? I mean, it it meant everything to me. My mom and I have always been really close. Mm-hmm. Um, so having her just be supportive and be a, even be willing to be a part of it with me meant a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just feel so fortunate because it's also given us more memories and connection in, mm-hmm. in our life. At a time when we could have grown apart, I feel like we grew closer together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my dad didn't get it for a long time. And that was okay I remember him telling me one time, he's like, Hannah, I may not understand why you're doing this, but you're good at it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> That's, yeah, he at least cool. understood the creative part, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. I, I don't get it, 
but I get what you bring. You're bringing it to the table, and that's good. Yeah. So it was, he was still supportive, even if he didn't get it. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he did go to a convention once. He like a couple of years later, he went. We went as a whole family. My brother got into it as well. Oh wow. Um, and we dressed him up, and uh, it's. I mean, cosplay really kind of became a family thing for us. Uh, just in that it was it was something we could all work on projects together, and then we would go to the conventions, and, and it was just a really great way to have an experience as a family. And I'm really grateful that that's something I got to have an experience. That's very cool. From high school, you 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 sort of said that you you knew you wanted to get into animation almost from yeah. day one. So where, how did you change the focus? Uh, how did you sort the focus in your life to, to pursue that as a career? Well, uh, so while I was in high school, uh, we, one of our teachers actually, her brother worked in video games. He worked on uh, Duke Nukem and things. Oh, wow. And, and so there was a day that he came and just kind of talked to the class and I remember him talking to us about like, you can make a lot of money, but you're going to work a lot of long hours and there's going to be times where you don't have time to do your laundry. And like, he, he talked about like, like the, the ups, but also the downs of the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I wanted to get into hand-drawn animation. So my plan at that point was to apply to a couple different schools and, and try to get into traditional animation. Uh, I, I believe it was my senior year of high school, Disney closed its door to 2D animation. <laughs> and I was like, well... Oh, well, there's the end of the world. I probably, yeah, I need to rethink this a little bit. <laughs> um, and so I actually remember I went to a portfolio review where a bunch of colleges from across the country came, like art colleges came, and they would review your portfolio on the spot and kind of let you know what you needed to work on or if you were like things that you were doing right to mm-hmm. apply to their school and have a good chance of getting in. Mm-hmm. And I stood in line and for the Ringling, the Ringling School and I remember them having this, they had two people, one person who would kind of very quickly go through people's portfolios and she was pretty nice. And then they had basically the Simon Cowell of reviewers. <laughs> And he would like go through and he'd rip people apart and it was just brutal. And I remember standing in his line because I wanted to have like all of the like most honest feedback to make Mm -hmm. sure that I put together a good portfolio. Mm. And I remember the people in front of me, they mostly had graphic arts uh, portfolio. They wanted to transfer from another school. And he like, he was flipping through it and he was just like, He's like, honestly, uh, this isn't enough for you to to not take these intro programs. Like, we would still have to take these. And they were, like, really discouraged by it. Right. Um, and then there was another girl who went up, and her art was incredible. Like, she was so good. But the problem was she knew it. Um. And so she went, she went in and, like, he, he starts kind of saying, like, oh, yeah, this stuff is really good. You tell he was impressed and then she was like yeah so I don't think I should have to take the intro classes and her parents are standing there with her and they're like yeah she's too good and he's like you know what and he just closed her portfolio and he's like 
it's like you're incredibly talented, but if that's the attitude you're going to have going into any art industry, you're not going to have success. And he just like pushed her to the side. And I was like, oh, okay. So like I'm sweating. I'm like about to hand him my portfolio. And uh, I give it to him. It's a combination of still life. It's got, I've done comics with my friends where like I'd sketch out little adventures we'd had. I did a lot of like character turnarounds because I just, I've always loved drawing characters and people mm-hmm. and he's looking through it and he's like okay well what what is it you want to do i'm like i've always loved the animation and he's like why do you want to get into animation i'm like i love storytelling i love the impact it can have on people and all these uh the influence and that it inspires people and i i love just the the creative elements of it, the whole thing and I said it better at the time. It's been a few years. <laughs> um, but he he was like, you say that in your in your write-up. He's like, I hear everybody talk about how much money they can make when they want to get into animation. And you, t- you focus on the passion and you'll get in. And he said, he's like, I also don't say this to many people, but based on your portfolio and these things that I'm seeing in here, you should apply to our computer animation department. Oh, wow. And I... I was like, oh, okay, thank you. I didn't realize that it was like apparently one of their harder programs to get into. Uh, so I'm going to toot my horn a little bit there. I'm really proud of myself for that. Um, and that's an authentic but, uh, moment. But yeah, so I, yeah, it was, I mean, I, I had been working on this my whole life. I've been drawing every day and I knew I wanted to get into animation. So to have that affirmation in that moment was just so so important. So that was a very big moment in my life. Um, and did you, so did you I pursue applied, that, I, that course? I did. It ended up being the only college I applied to and I got in. <laughs> oh, nice. So, yeah. We, we, um, it, I and that, that program to, oh, kicked sorry, my ahead. butt. Yeah. It kicked your butt. It did. In all the right ways, in that it really demanded everything out of me, and it forced me to push into a level and area that I never thought I could really achieve. So, mm-hmm. we uh, we interviewed uh, Brian Stelfreeze uh, last year, and he was talking about mm. being an art, uh, being an artist. Um, and one of the, the the common the common questions is: so, what advice would you give? He said, just draw. It doesn't matter where you are. He's got sketchbooks full of people sitting in cafes, of cars out on the street. Look out the Mm -hmm. window, just draw whatever it is that you see because that is the practice that you will need to to become the artist. And you'd agree with that? Absolutely, 1,000%. So there's, there's no easy way. You've just actually just got to practice. You do. Like, I... It sounds easy when I say, oh, I applied and got in, but it's, it really is something I, I've been working on every day. I mean, I even would take my history notes in comic form, like sketch little comics that made sense to me so I could remember dates and what was going on based on what, what showed up in my head. That's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Once you got into computer animation and this course is helping to shape you. Where did you mm-hmm. see the opportunities go from here? Oh, that's a good question. That's a big question. Um, you can so take your time. The, take the, your time. You've got all the time. 
the program itself was really good at Ringling because it was they taught us to be generalists. So they taught us every part of the animation pipeline mm-hmm. because the truth is you could be going into something, think I want to be an animator and then realize you're amazing at rigging or fall in love with storyboarding, storyboarding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tongue tied. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, they really gave you a taste of each part of the, the pipeline so that you could really find where you'd thrive. And I mean, I always thought I'd be an animator and it turns out I am terrible at animating. Um, I remember I remember in one of my classes, the teacher was like looking at my animation and he would take a piece of paper and he'd cover the legs and like watch it. And then he'd pull it away and then he'd cover the top half of the body and watch the legs. And he's like, uh, each half on its own looks okay, but together it's just wrong. <laughs> He couldn't put it into other words. And it was like, I'm trying so hard. Um, And I remember them doing a little demo one day on hair Mm -hmm. and hair simulation. And I went back to my dorm and I stayed up until like six in the morning playing with grooming digitally. And I just fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And then I found out about being able to do digital clothing And so all of a sudden, my love of cosplay and creating garments and costumes was being done digitally in Mm -hmm. animation. And I just became obsessed with it. So my my hobby actually, I think, really influenced me finding my path in animation, as well as giving me experience in the practical world to apply to the digital one and give me a strength and a, a step up from a lot of other artists that get into it. Mm-hmm. It was that point that things clicked into place. Almost. It was, it really was. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you finished college and yes. what is next step? You're now, you finished college, you are a graduate yes. and now go and so, find work. <laughs> so that's always a fun one, especially because Disney seems to like to align with my milestones in life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when, as I said earlier, they had closed their doors to 2D right before I started college. And then when I graduated was when they they closed their doors to animation for a while and just like laid off a ton of animators. So wow. I was ready to like get hired when the industry got flooded with a ton of talent. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up being... Uh, unemployed for for about a year, right. uh, just working on my portfolio at home and applying to things and just hoping I could get work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at this time, I was also living with my family in Dover, Delaware, which does not have much of an animation industry. <laughs> <laughs> what does Dover, uh, Delaware have a lot of? Uh... It, it's got a NASCAR track. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of oil. It's got a lot of heart. We'll put it that way. <laughs> wow. So your, your family went Colorado, Georgia, Delaware. Yes. And actually before Delaware, they moved to Indiana. <laughs> what? what? Yeah. My, so my dad, uh, 
he he worked for a couple companies. He's worked in the music industry for a long time, and he worked for a, a company for a while called Emu and Sonic. Mm-hmm. And they're actually what moved us to Georgia. And he was a sales rep selling their products to schools and uh, music stores. Right. And then uh, he ended up getting hired by Yamaha. Ah. And that moved us up to Indiana. And it then at a kind of like, oh, it, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take this other region, shifted us over to Delaware. So right. that's why we've hopped around like the military. <laughs> gotcha. Well, you, you say Yamaha. So while, yes, Yamaha makes uh, amazing musical instruments, I used to ride a Yamaha bike. What did you have? I had an FJ1100. Ooh. It was a, it was a meaty thing. I, I really, I, I enjoy my bikes. Um, I, oh. had a, I had a motorcycle license before I had a car license. That's awesome. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. You. Do you still ride? I, uh, so I have a, I have a bike back in Australia. Whenever I go back to visit, I've got the bike there, but, uh, here in South Africa, it's, uh, not the, the roads and the other traffic here are not as conducive to. to That's fair. Yeah. So I do, I do ride when I get back to Oz and Oz has got some great rides when you, when you get to like the national parks and the winding roads and. Oh yeah. your corners and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, how. Where did where did motorcycles come to you? Maybe I'm spoiling the story because I'm, I'm prompting you for something. Where yes, did the motorcycles yeah. So, um, when I was, I want to say like six, we had some family friends that would watch me from time to time, um, especially there was a period of time where both my parents were working. So uh, sometimes I would go over to their house after school and things. And uh, uh, Mike and Becky... Mm-hmm. And Mike had a motorcycle and he would occasionally take me on just short rides around the block on the back. Right. And it just felt like flying. And I just, I loved it. And I didn't give it much thought for a long time until let's leak it back into the nerdy stuff. <laughs> As I was getting into anime in high school, uh, one of my friends gave me, Oh my goddess. The original, like, OVA. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need this in my life. I need to ride. I need to learn. (laughs) This is amazing. I was suspecting it might have been Akira, but okay. Oh, my goddess is good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, oh, my goddess is great because it introduces you to so many different um, types of racing and riding and just Mm -hmm. loving the motor industry in general. Right. Um. And so that, but that was really where I just, I loved just the whole idea of like being on two wheels and like having that engine. And I just thought it was, it was so cool. So, um, and I love Bell Dandy and KHG. So it kind of like, it, it spoke to my little, my, my girly heart and stuff with the romance. Um, right. But yeah. So when, what was your first bike? My first bike was a Kawasaki Ninja. I had the GPZ. Did you? Yeah, just before they rebranded to Ninjas, I had the... Uh, oh, so in man. Aus- in Australia, you have to start learning on a 250cc or, or less. So I think GP- that's so smart. I, I, sorry, I actually had the GPX. It was The GPX was the 250 with that really long yeah. wheelbase and the amazingly oh, long yeah. fairing. 
Um, and yeah, that was what I, I started with a CB250, a Honda, but then I moved to the GPX250 uh -huh. and I, I loved that thing. That's so That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> like, and 250s, like people, they get a bad rap because they're not as fast. Mm. But you can learn so much about riding on a, yep. a small little zippy bike like that. Mm -hmm. You can really get technical and it can make you a better rider as you get into the heavier, bigger bikes after that. Yeah, that's the that's the rule in uh, well the state that I uh, that I grew up in, New South Wales. The rule was nothing bigger than two fifties. And then when this, the 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 superbike two fifties came out, they just went back to engine size. But the rule of thumb oh, was yeah. a two a two fifty. You needed to spend mm -hmm. six months on that on a learner, so you couldn't go more than 30, 35 yeah. mile an hour. Um, and yep. then you could spend twelve months. You could go up to maybe fifty mile an hour. Um, mm -hmm. But you. Yeah, there were a whole bunch of rules about here's what you can do, here's what you need to learn uh, in order to get yeah. your license. And then only after like 15 months, sorry, we got a helicopter going overhead. Wow. Um, oh, oh after, my. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's quite low. Uh, after 15 no months, then you could go to any size bike you like. Yeah. I wish we did something like that in the States because... Mm -hmm. People just buy bikes and are reckless with them a lot of times. Not not everyone. How do what what's, the, I think what's the process to get your license there? You just have to go to the DMV and pass the test. Is that it? That's it. So, um, and you have to, depending on the the state, you don't even need a helmet. It's pretty mm. ridiculous. Oh no, that's um, not right. I, I I actually took the motorcycle safety course, which. In the state of California, I think it was like two to three hundred dollars. Um, they do like an intense classroom session, and mm -hmm. then the the following weekend, you have like several hours of riding time where they provide a bike. Mm -hmm. um, they'll even provide a helmet if you don't have one, but I don't like to share. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so I had my own at that point, and I was riding on the back of my friends' bikes at that point, so I kind of had my own gear. Right. And so I, I got to the class and I, like they teach you how to ride. And if you actually pass, like they'll, they'll assess you at the end and they'll have you do a whole little course that's mm -hmm. actually more involved than the one at the DMV. Right. And so if you pass that, they give you a certificate saying, yes, you pass the riding portion. You can take that to the DMV and you only have to take the uh written exam at the dmv oh wow that's cool so i think it's honestly for anyone learning to ride no matter what state you're in there there are safety courses like this you can take yeah and it's the, the best route to go because if you're not sure if you want to ride but you've always been curious yeah it's a couple hundred bucks but if you learn through that that you don't want to ride it saved you thousands of dollars on a bike and possibly other other things and if you do realize that you want to ride more it set you up with an amazing foundation and understanding of how to ride how to be safe and it, it's it's just worth every penny i personally feel that everybody should learn to ride a motorcycle first because it teaches you road craft and it teaches you that everybody else yes. on the road can't see you which makes you a better driver yes it made me a, such a better driver to mm. have to to learn how to ride yeah all right. What's your yeah. What do you ride now? 
I still have my little ninja because I love it. Um, and I also have a, a Yamaha Radian that I've been restoring. Ooh. Yeah. I think and I actually took my... that one on an all-women's ride back in October, which was incredible. Uh, I think that actually answers yeah. my next question. What's, what's, the, what's the dream bike? Oh, I really want a Ducati Monster. <laughs> which, of course, my husband just got a new bike, and it's a Ducati, but it's not uh, a Monster. But uh, I'm just like, oh, there's this beautiful Italian in the garage, and it's not mine. <laughs> and uh, does, he, does he let you look at it from time to time? Oh, yes. He at least lets me look at it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We we skipped a whole bunch there, I think. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, The uh, getting into industry, you said that uh, Disney had shut down for a while. The the market is now flooded with incredibly talented people, and you're trying to find your way. Yeah. Well, now that I've... Having been in the industry for 10 years, when things like a like a big studio closes its doors or lays off a bunch of people, um, the other like there is a camaraderie that comes out in the industry of like other studios trying to see if they can give jobs to these people or take them in because you don't want to lose hold of that talent. Right. And so it just things that were, I think, meant to be introductory level jobs we're being given to like higher experienced animators and, and artists because they were trying to make sure that these people were still in this industry and working and, and doing, doing well. So, mm-hmm. um, I graduated in 2006. Let's just, everyone can do the math on that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't get a job until June of 2007. Wow. And, uh, but I mean, I kept working on things at home. My parents were very supportive of me just putting time and energy into my portfolio and continuing to reach out for jobs. And uh, I ended up, uh, I even, there was one point, there was a company called Rhythm and Hues mm-hmm. and they had posted that they needed effects artists. And there's a funny thing that happens with the hair and cloth side of the animation industry. Mm-hmm. There's not one job title that suits it. So at one company, it could be under effects. Another company calls it tech anim. Another company calls it cloth and hair. Another company says CFX. So there was not an easy way to search for this these jobs or right. to know. Sorry, a cat just fell out of a drawer. (laughs) 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 Keeping it real over here, guys. Did you, did Um, you open the drawer? Was the drawer upside down? It just fell out. No, I I think it was just open a little bit and then the cat (laughs) got in and then got out. So (laughs) adventure. Excellent. Uh, But yeah, so uh, this company had an effects job open or, and it was actually, it wasn't even a job. It was a internship and so they needed you to know Houdini, which I did not learn in school. I learned Maya and Photoshop and all mm-hmm. these other things. Yeah. And so I got the student version of Houdini. I crammed as much information as I could into my head for the three weeks before the deadline and like sent my stuff in, sent my reel, just talked about how 
how I was passionate about learning this program and, and, you know, trying to express that I was, I was, I was doing it. I had gumption, right? Yeah. And they actually called me back. They were like, we don't actually feel like you're right for this position, but we are going to be needing cloth and hair artists in like the spring, summer. So we'd like to keep you on hold for that. Wow. I was like, uh, yes, please. <laughs> and so in uh, in June, my parents let me take a, a trip. And by, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an adult at this point. So I was saying my parents let me. It's more that my parents helped me <laughs> take a trip to L.A. Uh, where I, I went to as many studios as possible. I c- contacted people I knew and just see if I could get my foot in the door, drop off a reel, talk to people, anything. Um, and while I was there, I got a phone call from Rhythm and Hughes. They wanted to set up a phone interview with me for this cloth and hair position. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's funny that you called. I'm actually in L.A. this week. I'm, I'm outside your building. I'm watching you right now. I'm like, how did you know I was here? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that kind of weirdo nerd. <laughs> Maybe a little, but <laughs> maybe a little. That's all right. Maybe a little. Um, I do but, it because uh, I love yeah. you. I do it because yeah, I, love I know you. it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I ended up uh, going in for the interview. It, it went really well, and a week later, they sent over a contract and a moving bonus. Oh so, wow! I started in July on the very first Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. That was your first one. That was my first movie. Hang on. Are you, are you talking that you were handling chipmunk hair? Yep. I did their little sweat. Like I got to work on their sweatshirts and their fur. And uh, there's actually, there's a shot where the, in the movie where the chipmunks get some caffeine. They, I think mm-hmm. the guy gives them like frappuccinos. Yeah. And they start bouncing around the studio and Alvin smacks into the glass. <laughs> that was my shot. <laughs> that was you. <laughs> this is amazing. So, oh, thanks. <laughs> it's, um, it's something that, uh, so with, with the interviews that we try to do, we, we, we're talking to people who are doing cool things that have uh, moving on in their industries. And it's so often that, it's the hustle. It's I grafted, I worked. You took three weeks to blast through as much as you possibly could on a new software package mm-hmm. to try mm-hmm. and give yourself the best chance of getting yep. an opportunity, which gave you something else. It did. It did. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those, I think it's easy to look at the success people are having, whether it's in cosplay or in animation or whatever they're doing. And, and it looks like it comes easy. Mm. And I feel like the things that have been the most rewarding experiences in my life have always been the things that I have worked my butt off on. Yeah. <laughs> and people just don't often see that, that hustle and that work behind the scenes. Cause it's, it's not interesting. Mm. You, you've you got, uh, your cosplay is amazing. Yeah, but there's, there's hours of nicking myself with a craft knife and glue gun burns <laughs> yeah. and sticking something to my hair. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Injury or just sewing the wrong seams together or messing something up and you have to start completely over. And yeah, there's, 
there's so many things that can go wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to preface something. We we did a a, a podcast we're about to drop with uh, Ricky Lakoti, uh, cosplayer mm-hmm. Riddle, and she has yes, she's awesome. She has an amazing um, cosplay whoops story that you have to go and listen to that podcast for. Okay. Hannah, do you have a cosplay whoops story? Oh. Or something that just I went I, sideways. Oh, man. This is a really great question. I'm, I'm thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I have one that kind of comes to mind. Yeah. It's... It's not like, so I think it's funny. Um, so uh, my now husband and I went to, we went to Dragon Con in Georgia because mm-hmm. yep. it's like one of the best cons in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never gotten to, uh, to Dragon Con. I've, I've been to Gen Con, San Diego, Emerald City, a couple of others, but I've, I've, I always want to get to Dragon Con. I think it's, I think you're due. I think you need to go. Um, it's one of our absolute favorites. We just have the best time there. Um, but we, so to preface this, we were living in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. And so we had to like fly to Georgia and we had made Gambit and Rogue costumes that we had debuted at San Diego Comic-Con previously. Mm-hmm. And we, we were like, we'll take those to Georgia. We're going to have a great time. Um, we were actually staying in the room that adjoined to Yaya oh, and Brian's yep. room. Yep. And this was, I think I can share this because I'm not under contract. <laughs> um, they were film. <laughs> they were filming Heroes of Cosplay. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, Fun fact for anyone who doesn't know this, I feel like most people know this. Uh, most reality TV is staged. Is Yeah, is not. It's not. So they were trying, they had, it was Yaya in the other room with Monica, and they were trying to kind of like work up some drama to happen at the con and stuff. Uh, and so we had the door kind of like cracked open because we were coming and going, but we were just trying to keep quiet while they sure. they were filming. And so we had gotten in, we took a red eye flight and we had gotten in, in the, like, I think we got in at like, like 7 a.m. But, you know, I think that meant we left at like two in the morning at, in L.A. And it was just, it was brutal. So we're running on caffeine at this point. And Josh goes and starts putting his contacts in for, for, for Gambit. What am I saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um for Gambit, because he got he got the like the full Scalera contacts and looked amazing. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So so he's putting Gambit on. He's getting all dressed, and I I'm unpacking the suitcase, and I'm pulling out my rogue jacket and my bodysuit and my boots, mm-hmm. and I'm looking. There's Gambit's wig. Oh no! I left my rogue wig at home. Oh. The one thing that makes you actually look like rogue. Is the hair. I left at home. The hair. <laughs> no. And I 
I just like they're literally staging drama in the other room and I just go into the bathroom and I close the door and I sat on the toilet like like with the down stuff I just sat there and I just sobbed for like a solid five minutes because <laughs> oh, no. I'm like I can't even can't even wear this costume and so I was, I was devastated and it's like to me though that's like a cosplay whoopsie moment that would have been great for their show but I was <laughs> Oh no! How we're, we're we're jumping around, and that's and, and jumping around is pretty cool. But this is this is the type of conversation that this is what yeah. we want to have. How did you yeah. find the cosplaying boyfriend? Whoa! I'm not sure how I got here, but this is a really cool podcast. Well, while I'm here, I guess I'll introduce myself. I am the incredible Jeff the host of Fueled by Deathcast, the weekly podcast from the Death Wish Coffee Company. Each week, I get to talk with a special guest from rock stars to astronauts about what they do and what fuels their passion, because we're all fueled by death. We want to leave this world a little different before we inevitably leave it for good. Follow Fueled by Deathcast on all social media and subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or the Death Wish Coffee Company YouTube page. But for now, let's finish this awesome podcast. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. Um, we we met in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. and uh, because of motorcycles, actually. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he had a friend who was going to be riding down to San Diego Comic Con for a day because he wanted to see his girlfriend. And so the two of them rode down to Comic-Con that year and I was with my friends and we, we had a whole DC group going. So we had Catwoman, Ivy, and I was uh, Harley Quinn Mm -hmm. and uh, Josh inevitably became my bag bitch. I hope that's okay to say. Uh, we have uh, oh. we have ratings for the podcast. Uh, levels of saltiness. I'm so- yeah, you know you're fine. You're not even Sorry. anywhere near the top. So we go from lightly salted yeah. to goes well with goes well with fries all the way to hello sailor. <laughs> you're not anywhere near <laughs> hello sailor. I mean. If you, if you want me to play a video game, we can get to like Hello Sailor, but <laughs> I don't oh, think that's the point really? of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do a let's play at some point. <laughs> so okay. he becomes your bag bitch. How do you just you you nominated yeah. him? It wasn't even that. It's that he was he was so just. We were both really into each other. Like he was like he wanted to hang out, and then inevitably I were asked for for photos. Photos. Yeah. And so he's like, here, give me your bags. Like, cause he's that guy. He's so nice. He's so mm-hmm. supportive. Yeah. Um, yeah. always calls him the, the big damn hero, like from uh, firefly <laughs> because he's like the guy that like, when something's going wrong, it's like, we left something in the hotel room. He like bolts back from the restaurant to the hotel to get the prints or whatever. He's the proper he's hero. That guy. Um, so helpful. He's a big damn hero. Big damn hero. Um, nice. So, uh, so yeah, so he, uh, he, he was holding my bag and everything. And then, uh, after the con, we were talking, he's like, he's like, how hard would it be to make a Joker costume? And I was like, Oh, I want to marry him. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That's all it took. 
that was the moment. That was the moment. And uh, so we we ended up uh, doing that. But I, I kind of asked him, I'm like, oh, so you're you're interested in cosplay? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, is it because you had to keep carrying my bags? He's like, honestly, I got jealous that you got all the attention. <laughs> <laughs> that That is a wonderful story. So, yeah. So we've been uh, nerding out and cosplaying ever since. That's fantastic. Uh, you're, so at this time, are you still in LA? You're still working in animation? So I am actually in San Francisco now. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband got a job that brought us up here. He works for Industrial Light and Magic. Oh, oh, I think I've heard of them. They've done some things. Yeah, it's just, you know, a few things. Not, nothing too big, just, you know, like Star Wars. Hang on, <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Your hubby works for ILM, and he wants to know how he can yeah. make a Joker costume. That's yeah. just ridiculous. <laughs> well, to be fair, he's he's an animator. Okay. And All so right. he's into more of like the motion side of things. Gotcha. Um, and I'm I'm very good at the sewing side of things. <laughs> okay. But, but what's really cool is he's actually gotten really into the prop building side. Right. So if you look at our Rogan Gambit costumes, for example, mm-hmm. he made all of his like armored uh, boot pieces. And right. he also made light up cards that oh, only light cool. up when he touches them. Oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. All right. Where, okay. So for somebody who is listening to this right now, where do they yes. find a photo of that? Uh, if you go to Hannah May's Cosplay on Facebook. Yeah. And that's basically anime with an H at the front. Okay. Yeah. It, that photo will be there. It will be there. The, you can even go, if you go to the albums, I have things sorted by costumes. So look mm. for Rogue and Gambit. Okay. I am going to check yeah. that out. That, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, thanks. He did. He did. Wow. Such a, a, an amazing job. And, um, it was cool to see him find his own niche within cosplay. Right. And I, and I feel like it was, it was great because we were able to complement each other in what skills we brought to the table in the hobby. Right. How does, um, how did you find your way into cosplay helping from a, from a charity aspect? So that, that was something, um, when I first moved to Los Angeles and was kind of like reaching out and making new friends, um, some of the the people that I met were doing things like they'd go to the city of hope, uh, survivors picnic for cancer survivors and they'd all dress as superheroes. Um, and so they invited me to come to that and I, I went dressed as Mrs. Incredible, Mm -hmm. which was really fun. And I mean, that was one of those moments where you, you just really realize the power behind uh, behind cosplay and what good it can do beyond just like showing up at a con and like taking pictures. Um, it was it was neat to be in a place where you felt like you were actually a guest among the real heroes, you know? Right. So, so that was that was kind of my first dip into it. Um, I later did. So, 
I did a charity thing where I did like a, a team and training run where that's a specific program that raises money and awareness for uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Mm-hmm. And I did tie some cosplay fundraising into that, but uh, not a lot. And it wasn't until uh, in 2013, a really close family friend had been diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer. And she ended up not even being able to make it to our wedding because she was in the the throes of chemo and she was losing her hair and she just physically wasn't up to traveling. And uh, I remember as she was going through that, I, I wanted so badly to just shave my head and like support her. But I also, you know, was weighing, do I want to be bald at my wedding? Mm-hmm which, you know, I had the luxury to make that choice. Yeah. And that always really sat with me. Um, Cause up until then I had very long hair. It was about down to my mid back. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of Josh's friends was actually a Cirque du Soleil performer out in Vegas. And she had told us about a, a charity that she had participated in called St. Baldrick's. Mm-hmm. And it was one where you you would set a goal and you'd say, if I raise this much money, I'm going to shave my head for children's cancer research. Right. And the more research I did, I found out about how uh, children really get the rough end of the deal when it comes to cancer, because most of them don't actually die from the cancer itself. Mm. They die from the side effects of the treatments. And their bodies are just not strong enough to put up to the radiation and the different drugs and the things that are, are, it it stunts their growth. It just kills off their cells and it's just, it weakens them to a point where they just can't survive. Hmm. So even though it was something that wasn't directly related to what my friend was going through, I realized that supporting this cause, if we can find gentler, safer treatments starting with children, well, that's just going to trickle down to everybody having a better outcome, no matter what. So uh, after we had been married, I ended up signing up for for a St. Baldrick's uh, Charities uh, fundraiser. And uh, I had had the amazing support of my husband. And uh, I also had a lot of support from Yaya Han, who's been a, a dear friend for many, many years, but she was really kind in kind of boosting the signal and sharing about it. And I was able to not just raise enough money, but raise past what my goal was. And uh, I was proud to shave my head that day. Mm. And then after that, I felt like as a cosplayer, I had this wonderful opportunity to take being bald and wrap it into cosplay and showcase that being a bald female doesn't have to be negative the whole time and like, Mm -hmm. and showcase like a silver lining. Right. Because I had the choice, but somebody else who doesn't might see a picture. I don't have to know about it, but they might see a picture of me dressed as Aang or as Asajj Ventress and Mm -hmm. go, 
that's cool. Like I'm losing my hair, but I'm going to, I'm going to paint myself up like that, or I'm going to do this. Like they it can give them something to look forward to in a moment where they feel like they're losing their femininity. Right. That's, that is fantastic. That's. Thanks. Oh yeah. That's, um, it's finding something to help light the way at, at least for a little time. Oh yeah. And it's just, I think as a creative artistic person, it can be hard sometimes to feel like the work that I do in this world matters on that deeper level level. So it's nice to find my way to contribute, even if it's just finding a way to raise money and put it towards a good cause. Um, and I've gotten to do, uh, some good work with like Megan Marie does some incredible fundraisers. I am familiar with me uh, in on I'm those. familiar with Megan. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's wonderful. And, uh, and she's also someone where when she does cons in other countries, uh, she just, she'll find a local charity. So all the money she makes on prints, she doesn't make any money off of them. She just takes all that money from that weekend mm -hmm. and puts it into a local charity. So, Anyone who buys a print from her, you know, if she's in South Africa, she puts that right back into the community and makes sure it goes towards something good. Did she tell um, you what she that, did here? No. What did she do for you guys? Oh, yes. Yeah, see, see, Megan's the type of person that won't blow her own trumpet. So I'm going to blow Megan's trumpet for yeah. her. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Um, so we, we hooked her up with, um, with Canon South Africa. So Canon, not only do they do cameras, they do printers and they do high-end printers. So Ooh. we hooked her up with Canon and Canon was very, very mm -hmm. kind and printed all of her prints for her for free. So she didn't have to bring them. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, she sold them off. And I remember the last day at Icon where she's gone, I've got a target, reach it, like come over, pay whatever you can because I've got a target. Mm -hmm. And the day after Icon, she was able to go to Guide Dog South Africa and pay for the training for one full dog all the way through the process. Wow. Just in the donations that she took. Her and her mum. That's amazing. Her mum. Mm -hmm. Her mum's ridiculously cool. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Both, the pair of them are, are fantastic people. Yeah. So they funded the training of one guide dog just by themselves. Oh, my gosh. Dude, Joan and Megan are just the best. I love them to pieces. Yeah. They're very, very cool. I missed, uh, they, they actually went to, to Australia at the end of the last year, and I was going to try and get over to spend some time with them. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Yeah. So I've, I'm on a promise that the next time I go over, I'm going to go out and see Joan. Um, Minnesota, I think, somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, so when when you're done with this, you can, you can poke her and let her know that you know what she did. I will make it sound ominous. <laughs> I know what you did, Megan, <laughs> <laughs> and it was wonderful. <laughs> it, it, it was it was terribly cool. Uh, yeah, she got to go through and actually do the donation herself to the uh, to yeah. Guide Dog South Africa, which was very cool. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I had the wonderful privilege of getting to go to um, AnimeCon Expo in Barbados. Oh wow! With her and. We, we did, we did that same thing. Like I, I did not have nearly as many amazing prints as Megan, but, uh, like her, I've never, I've never looked at prints as something to make money for myself. I've always also put the proceeds towards charities. Um, 
but it was it was really wonderful to get to be a part of how Megan approaches it and really inspired me for moving forward when I'm at cons as well. But we we all the money we raised we put towards the uh, the animal shelter out there, and it was right. so neat because we got to go and they gave us a tour and they just showed us like what they've what they've been able to do with money they've received as well as like what they need to do and it was just it was really cool to get to have that opportunity mm-hmm. and, and just see that it was going towards something really good i think actually i must apologize i think i misspoke which is not to say lie i think i misspoke i think she actually brought over a stack of her own prints because i remember mm-hmm. one of her uh, one of her carry-on luggages was just like heavy as all hell <laughs> uh, and it was just it was stacked with prints, but she she left a number of prints behind um, signed for us to uh, to sell on her behalf and, and donate as well. Oh, so, um, but that's it's awesome. something it's something that we have done uh, that we hook we try to hook like uh, comic artists and people up to help that they don't have to bring those prints over if they if they're going to visit a, a oh, convention. Oh sure, but uh, yeah. So Megan really is good. fantastic, and the the being able to give something back. In an unexpected way, even if it's just a little bit of inspiration that this, this oh, is something sure. like, it's important to be able to see something that you can relate to. Absolutely. I, I think in these times where it's just, everything just feels so helpless, it's huh. nice to actually see a little bit of what you're doing affecting something for the better. Yeah. So. I am cognizant that I only promised, I promised to only have you for a set amount of time. We've blown past that and we could continue talking. Are you okay with that? I am okay with that. I actually don't have anything else officially scheduled today. So, all right, four hour podcast. Here we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, sorry, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully this is enjoyable for everybody. Uh, cause I'm having having a good time. (laughs) Uh, So am I. Thank you. Um, uh, cause there's, there's plenty to, there's plenty more to talk about. Uh, obviously, understanding exactly how detailed an industrial light and magic NDA is mm-hmm. and how much he's allowed to tell you when he comes home from Sure. Um, you, you, what's, how did you find your way to her universe? Okay. So I actually first stumbled across her universe at Dragon Con. Uh-huh. I think it was the one where I left my wig at home, actually. <laughs> and which, just to, to finish that story, I later walked downstairs with, like, Josh was in full Gambit outfit. Mm-hmm. And so I got to be bag bitch for a day. I think he enjoyed that. <laughs> um, but this was when, uh, this was around, like, when Arta Wigs got started. Mm-hmm. So... I wasn't used to seeing wig shops at conventions and Arda had a a station downstairs and I was, I was looking through and I was like, maybe I could makeshift something. Mm -hmm. And they actually were selling little white bangs and I was able to buy white bangs and go as like a straight haired (laughs) Mm -hmm. rogue, but it worked. So I did get to at least cosplay a little bit. Yeah. So he didn't Um, get all the attention. Not all weekend. No. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for, for a little bit, mm. he deserved it. Sure. But uh, but yeah, to circle back to uh, ILM and NDAs and her universe, mm. uh, we were at that Dragon Con, and her universe had a little booth set up. I think it 
it wasn't even like in the dealer's hall. It was like by an elevator, just kind of out there. And I had gone over and I had bought a Star Wars shirt and we were walking by later and Josh was like, oh, I think that's Ashley. And I didn't know who she was. <laughs> and I was like, who? And he's like, she's the one who started her universe. So my first connection to Ashley was actually that she started this nerd brand. Mm-hmm. And so I went over and said, hi, and just thanked her for like starting her universe that I thought that it was really cool to see like stuff that was nerdy, but for women. And we had a nice little conversation and I think Josh even took some pictures of it that I should probably find. But, uh, but yeah, so we had this little conversation and then later uh, Josh, Josh was given the first, Oh, pardon me. I've got a cough. <laughs> True. So I'm trying to not do it in the microphone. That's okay. Uh, Josh ended up being given, I think, the first movie for Clone Wars. I think it was a movie. And so, yeah, like, so he brought that home and we're watching it. And he's like, so that that voice you're hearing, that's the girl you talked to at Dragon Con. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I kind of discovered her in reverse, I guess. Gotcha. But, that's, uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, but you know what's nice is even meeting Ashley in that moment, like she didn't act like someone who was like, Oh yes, I'm Ahsoka and I'm amazing. It was, mm-hmm. it was more like she she was just so humbled that somebody liked what she had put out there and grateful for for us liking what she had, had put time into. Right. Um she was very down to earth and just very kind. Uh and so flash forward to two thousand four? No, that's not right. 2014. Yes, 2014. I can math. (laughs) Uh, She announces the Her Universe fashion show at San Diego Mm Comic-Con. And at this point, I had actually gotten more into Clone Wars. I was bald at the time because I had just shaved my head uh, that year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I had shaved my head in March of 2014 and then they announced the fashion show. And the first thing that came to mind for me was this Asajj Ventress evening gown. <clears throat> mm. Sorry. That's right. And uh, so I remember sketching it out and being like, I just, I feel like this would be so perfect for this. And I submitted it and I got in. <laughs> wow. And no one quite knew what to expect with that first fashion show. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that uh, there was a Facebook group that all the contestants started to kind of like be able to share what they were working on and and stuff because we weren't allowed to share progress photos. They really wanted our big reveal of our designs to be at the fashion show. To be reveals, okay. Yeah, and so like... Like little teasers were okay, but they really wanted you to keep the majority of your design under wraps. So there was a Facebook group where we all just kind of kept touch of like what was what was going on. Like if we had questions about the emails they were sending us and also just to share our progress. And 
I just remember a lot of us, we, nobody knew what to expect. We, it was a first year show. They won. I know they wanted it to be big, but like you, you just have no idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember getting to the show and uh, just, it was, it was cool to have had the Facebook group because when we got there, even though we were competitors, we were all friends. Right. And so, you know, we were helping finish, you know, zipping people in or, or fixing a stitch on a dress and, and, uh, everyone was really great backstage. And, uh, I actually got to meet, uh, Andrew McLean who ended up winning that year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was actually one that nobody, he, he came from the fashion world. He, so he wasn't really on Facebook and in the group. So he was kind of the outsider, but uh, not like just kind of by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, But he ended up, he and I became really good friends through the show. And he, I mean, if you guys can look it up, he did a once upon a time dress that transformed and the video of it is just mesmerizing. It's just, it like, it starts as one beautiful look. And then it literally goes through a, like a tiered transformation of like something starts to change and then something else changes and then skirt drops. And, and it just, it's a completely different gown by the end. And it's incredible. I it, am trying to cue that up now. Yeah. But I will check it out once we're done. Yes, it's it's uh, it's inspired. It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece. I'm so sorry, my throat no, 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 is like getting all caught today. Do you want to take a Do you want to take a couple seconds to get some water? Yeah. <clears throat> sure. There we go. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not going to make you sound like a uh, just like an infected zombie type thing. Just coughing. We're, I'm we can, dying. We can cut this stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so Andrew, Andrew had this incredible dress that transformed, and I mean, just blew. I think it blew the judges away. It blew the audience away. Um, he was definitely, I think, just the the crowd favorite for sure. Um, and there were two winners, by the way, with the Her Universe Fashion Show. Um, I, here, I'll I'll step back and kind of preface what it is for people sure. who don't know. I actually started the Her Universe Fashion Show as an opportunity for all these fans of geekdom to debut their original fashion ideas on an actual runway. She felt like when she would go to cons like Comic-Con, she would see people using the halls to do that. And she wanted to give people an actual runway to do it on. And so in bringing the fashion show to life, they also wanted to make it a bit of a competition and so the winners, and I say two winners because there is a judging panel that picks a winner, and then there is an audience vote. So the audience gets to actually vote that night, and they count them all up, and there's a winner for that. Right. The winning prize is getting to design a, a line uh, with, with whatever license is acquired for that line, and they get to design it for her universe and Hot Topic, and it would be sold wow. both online and in Hot Topic stores. That's so, a brilliant launchpad. It's a pretty 
amazing opportunity, especially if you're someone like me who's spent her entire career in animation and has always had a love and passion for fashion. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty um, incredible. Yeah. So, uh, so I got the opportunity to be in this first show, um, got to talk a little bit with Ashley. Um, and I mean, and she's busy, she's running around practicing and rehearsing cause she's hosting the show. Right. But, uh, just had, had the most wonderful experience. So Andrew wins the audience vote. And the winner of the judges vote was actually, I'm so blanking on her name right now, but she did this amazing DeLorean inspired <laughs> outfit. Yeah. That sounds and, very and cool. Amy Beth Christensen. There you go. Okay. Amy Beth Christensen did this incredible DeLorean inspired piece and it just, it, it looked incredible. It was well made all of the details, like the devil's in the details, like, mm. like just all of the accessories and she crafted everything. And it, it was all this stuff that's hard to see on the runway, but the judges got to get up close and see. Right. So, uh, so she, she won that. And so they, they got to design an Avengers line. So cool. Which was really cool. Yeah. And then the following year, I submitted again. And this year, I actually only submitted, I think I only submitted one design because life was crazy. Mm -hmm. But it was also the one I wanted to do. You can submit up to three designs. Mm -hmm. And then they pick anywhere between like 20 to 25 finalists, depending on, you know, how many they let in. I guess. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, if, and I will say this, if it were up to Ashley, she would let everyone walk the runway. Right. Um, but uh, I submitted an alien design. Oh. I called it runway ready Ripley. <laughs> Very cool. A, a tongue twister. <laughs> um, and it was a, an outfit that had, kind of inspiration from the different films. Mm -hmm. It was, I had the alien stompers, uh, but as wedges uh -huh. for my shoes. And then I had like the, a little, I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it. Kind of a tunicky draped tank top that was like an olive green and was inspired by the outfit she wears in Alien 3. Mm -hmm. And then I did a wet formed leather jacket that looked like a xenomorph. Oh, wow. And I remember submitting this idea and being like, oh yeah, this would be wet formed leather and this would be that and all these things. I had never worked with leather before. <laughs> <laughs> so when they sent the, you've been accepted <laughs> email, I was like, oh crap. Get started. <laughs> And so uh, that was another, that was a moment where uh, I worked my butt off for the next two and a half months, mm -hmm. but I, I, I did a lot of research. I bought leather and did test wet forming and 
it, in a lot of ways, it's really as easy as it sounds. You soak the leather in a warm water and then you shape it over a form. Right. Um, the hard part was that I had to make the forms. Um, and actually, Megan Marie helped me with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I made them out of warbler. And I for, for all the little like riblet pieces on the... And, and really all the little like detail shapes, I needed to actually have more of a rounded form. So what I would do is I would melt scraps of warbler mm-hmm. until they were really like doughy and play-doughy and I'd shape them and then stick them onto my base form. Right. And it was Megan who gave me all of her warbler scraps that she had in a box so that <laughs> I had access to all these little pieces. So right. <laughs> she saved my butt. She's, uh, she's pretty good. She's pretty good. That she is. Um, So uh, I think most of my time went into just shaping the the forms. And then once I started like actually forming and and shaping, like wet forming the actual leather um, and just bringing that together, it was was a very big project and it was a lot to do while working a full-time job. Right. So I really only had weekends uh, because at the time I was, I had a, a 50 mile commute each way. Oh, each way. Each way. I Yeah. So uh, I didn't really have the, the time or energy in the evenings to do much work. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have loved to have actually done something like a fitted black pant or something with the, the, the whole look, but right. I kind of actually kept it in a simplistic design because I knew I could achieve it in the time frame that I had. Um, but uh, that was, that was just one of those ones where I, I kicked my own butt, but I, I had that, that carrot of the Her Universe fashion show to motivate me to try something new and, and force me out of my comfort zone. And I'm so grateful for it because I grew artistically from that experience. Right. So even though I didn't win, I, I came away with a whole new skill set that I was really excited about. That's that's quite impressive, um, and it it's a, it follows a theme that uh, the opportunity is there now, and you need to upskill quick. You need to mm-hmm. <laughs> just get in line, get what you need. Yeah, and if that doesn't happen, then the yeah, opportunity is gone. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've always been someone where when I have an actual like solid deadline, I work so much better. Um, I can do stuff without a deadline, but I find that I take my time or something gets, you know, put up on the shelf. Yeah. But I work really well when I actually have to get it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The typing speed gets a bit faster. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, uh, exactly. I can, I can um, relate. But I will also say that doing this leather piece actually made me realize that leather was not as scary of a medium as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at this point, this was 2015, mm-hmm. and I had started writing in 2009. So it had been six years of riding my motorcycle. And, and that's uh, – w- so when I started riding, to kind of give you a little story lead-in. Sure. Uh, I wanted to be very safe. As we talked about, I took the safety course. Mm -hmm. I had bought my own gear. 
Um, but at the time, the gear that I owned was a jacket, gloves, a helmet, and boots. Right. I ended up, I, I've never ridden in like, like, a sh- like shorts, but I really struggled to find motorcycle pants that fit someone who's five foot one. It would like, it would fit my measurements like in the hips and in the butt, but yeah. like the knee would be at my shin. <laughs> and that's not safe. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to help and, you at all. And because it's armored gear, it's not like I can just hem them. Yeah. It's like the knees, knee pad is still on my shin. Yeah. So um, I really, really struggled with finding gear and had this idea back in 2009, 2010 that I'd really like to design motorcycle gear for women. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of one of those things where, where I was in my headspace at the time, like, I I just didn't even know where to start and it was overwhelming and I'm like, nah, maybe not today. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was a an idea and a dream that kind of got put on the shelf. And doing my alien jacket and working with the leather and realizing that it was a more uh, achievable medium and stuff to work with, I suddenly had that dream kind of relight in my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the fashion show during rehearsals on Wednesday, because the show itself is Thursday night. Right. Um, having the, the the this moment where everyone's getting, we got they would bring in like food for us, which was really nice. Mm. And so even Ashley's out there, she's getting, you know, her plate full of like some snacks and stuff. Sure. And I walked up to her and I said, hi, Ashley, my name is Hannah. Uh, and she, I think she kind of remembered me from the previous, mm-hmm. the show. Um, and I just said, I was wondering if I could pick your brain. I am wanting to start a, a business uh, that's, that tends to be a, in a more male dominated industry. And I, I feel like you've already kind of come up against that with starting her universe don't worry, it's not a competitive, competing idea, mm-hmm. but I was wondering if I could maybe pick your brain and if you have any advice for someone starting out, um, is that something that I, I could get your advice on? And I remember her being like, oh my gosh, yes, I would be so happy to help you. Like, mm-hmm. here, let, let me give you my number. We'll set up a meeting after the con. And That's I was like, cool. oh, okay. And Sure enough, true to her word, like we, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't show, but I, I now had Ashley giving me advice and um, being a mentor to me as I dive into this this new industry of trying to figure out how to start a business doing wow. doing gear for women. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Yeah. <laughs> so, so flash forward to the next year, um, there were a lot of changes at work and I wasn't really feeling, uh, they were shifting around my job position and like what would be required of me. And I spoke up to my supervisor about not really feeling as happy about where it's going. Mm-hmm. And they basically told me to they, they're like, we understand. We don't want you to be unhappy. So why don't you give us your end date? 
It's oh. like, okay. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of that, I, I had this idea for, I, well, it was time to submit for the fashion show is what I should say. So in the midst of all of this going on at work, it was fashion show time. And I actually had a design that I had come up with right after the previous Comic-Con that was a, a Furiosa-inspired gown from Mad Max Ooh. Fury Road. Yeah. So I kind of like spent some time coloring and like figuring out how I'd fabricate it and what I wanted it to actually be and put together a a submission for it. And I also designed an Avatar The Last Airbender motorcycle suit. (laughs) Nice. That uh, did not get picked, but Uh my Furiosa gown did get in. Mm. So as I was leaving my job, I got into the fashion show. And so uh, I, I basically was like, all right, it's time to sink myself into the fashion show. And then I want to hit the ground running, trying to get my company going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to, I needed to make like a corseted high-waisted skirt. And I've done some corseting, but I needed some like guidance. Mm-hmm. So I turned to my dear friend, Yaya Han, <laughs> who was like, girl, come out. So I went and stayed with her for like a week. And wow. um, it was awesome because we both were like just sewing and cutting and fabricating. And um, it was awesome. And I ended up like I, I brought my base pattern and I, I did all the sewing and all the work. But it was great to have her there to like lace me into it and help mm. me kind of see the areas that needed to be adjusted because she had that eye and that experience right, and was able to pass that on to me in that, in that exchange. And I'm mm. forever grateful because I learned so, so much from her that week. Mm. And I came home and I, I still had to continue, you know, fitting elements of the skirt and actually transferring it onto my faux leather for this project. At the time I didn't, I didn't know that I had the resource of this amazing leather shop up in Napa. Yeah. So I ended up finding a faux leather that, that looked the way I wanted it to. So I went that route instead of actual leather for this, this dress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I was, this was one of those projects where I just, I deep dived and I put my heart and soul into it. Like I really, I think it was the first year that I really felt like I was in it to win it. Mm. Like the previous years, I, I knew it was an opportunity and I took it seriously, but my heart was in such a different place this year. Right. And, uh, I can't tell you how incredibly validating and emotional it was when they said that I actually won the judges vote that year. That's very cool. So it's a, it's a validation. uh, It was, it was, and it was cool because I felt like I went into that contest, like getting in that year was like the nudge I needed to believe in myself that I could, I could be a designer. The fact that the Her Universe fashion show picked me three years in a row 
for three very different designs mm. meant that I must be doing something right and I need to have confidence in myself as a designer. Mm. And if I have that confidence, I should do my business and, and pursue my dream. And so getting in already gave me that, that like, what, what's the word? Uh, it's, it like made me feel like this is what I should do. Sure. Winning was just, I wanted it, but I didn't know it was going to happen. <laughs> so uh, it, I just, I wanted to soak up every aspect of that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting to design within Hot Topic and, and even see like what things are behind the curtain of it all. Right was incredible and and it's just it's been one of those things where I don't think I would have ever had had the confidence had the the courage to move forward with this dream for myself if it weren't for the her universe fashion show what did you end up getting to work on with her universe I got to do the Wonder Woman line that's not bad so I am not unhappy about it at all. <laughs> um, I got I got to be uh, a part of a really special year too because it's the only year that they actually did a. They were kind of trying to do like a documentary of the fashion show, mm-hmm. so they actually did video of us, like where Ashley met with each of the contestants before the show. Right. And they put together episodes. You can actually, I think, watch it on Amazon. Okay. Uh, but it's what they did then too is they had so they had three winners that year. They had the judges winner, mm. the audience winner, and then the at home viewer winner. Wow. Okay. So I got the chance to design the Wonder Woman line with uh, Camille and Jesse, who were both very talented designers and brought. I thought some beautiful aesthetics to the collection. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was one of those where it rounded out the collection in such a nice way that a Wonder Woman fan could find at least one or two pieces that she really liked because we each brought these different viewpoints to it. Right. So now we're at a point, I'm guessing you've... I think you've been hinting that, that there might be some sort of announcement soon in relation to a yes. business line. Yes. So I, I soft launched my company a year ago mm-hmm. and the, it's called Moto Muse. Uh-huh. And my, my dream and my goal is to do motorcycle gear and apparel for women. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can actually, you can see our website and you can follow us on social media if you'd like. Uh, it's motomusegear.com mm-hmm. and motomusegear on social channels. Moto or motor? M-O-T-O-R? Uh, moto, M-O-T-O, mm-hmm. M-U-S-E, G-E-A-R. Okay. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Starting a business is a very challenging thing to do, especially yeah. if you're an artist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I've been learning a lot and I, I'm at a point where I'm, I'm in the midst of trademarking, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm actually currently working with a manufacturer to get my first line, my first official designed line off the ground and, and out. (laughs) So Yeah, I'm really, really excited. I, I just started that this past week. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a lot of work. That's a big jump. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like this is one of those moments where it's there's so much so many little details behind the scenes, so many papers to fill out, so many various yeah. fines to pay for just starting a business in California that it's <laughs> It's not the stuff that anyone wants to ever hear about, no. but I've been working my butt off to get. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you have to take a, you have to have a bit of an understanding of what an income statement is, what a balance sheet is. Oh my gosh! That, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know the stuff that nobody likes to see on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's the difference between cash flow and profit. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's so. that, that's really exciting, and it's. Uh, oftentimes, you. it's I you somebody who makes something has identified a need because it's what they needed. Uh, you're yes. not finding something that works for you. Well, here's an opportunity because I can't be alone in this. There's got to be other people who are doing it as well. Oh yeah, and it's it's amazing too. Is every time I talk to female writers, it's a similar thing. Like, oh, I love this jacket. I just wish it, it fit a little better here, or like, oh, I. I hate that I have to size up because I need more room for my hips or whatever, you know, and it's, it's the kind of things where I just, I know what the need is mm-hmm. both for like myself as well as for a lot of my friends who ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not take all these skills that I've developed over the years, hugely thanks to cosplay mm-hmm. and actually like fill this need. And there's an opportunity for some incredible geek-themed gear as well. Oh, I would love that. Um, I'm starting first with just my own stuff. Sure. But I have actually had the wonderful opportunity to work with uh, UD Replicas. Yes. Uh, they're, they're in Canada. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've gotten to do some design work for David Paya over there. Uh and that that's incredible because he does he's got the licenses to do some incredible things for DC and Kiss wow. and Star Trek. Kiss. So uh yeah. <laughs> wow. But he does motorcycle gear for like the geek community. So it's, sure. I know that that's being met a little bit right now. Right. And so my first my first goal is just women who ride. Mm-hmm. And if down the line we can introduce something license that'd be pretty darn cool well both of my sisters ride so i will make sure they check it out yes oh i'm excited Mm, absolutely i'll point them in your direction yeah i i will say i don't want to give too much away but i'm i'm starting with uh a very functional fashion-y piece first Mm, sure and then uh after after i go through this my plan is to really get into the gear itself right um, I've never manufactured before other than with her universe and hot topic, mm. but in that situation, I got to design something, hand it over to the pros and they did everything else. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, trying to learn this process as well as put my own money and my husband's money into getting this first line off the ground. Yeah. We're starting with something that's not official riding gear, but it is riding adjacent. Sure. Mm-hmm. So. It's, uh, it's, it's some school fees. This is what you need to start with. Yeah. And I, I want to learn the process of manufacturing and the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts on something that's also relatively more, more affordable and doesn't necessarily need you know, to pass all these safety standard checks. And there's also the possibility of needing insurance when you get into gear and different things that are like important, important details, but a lot of like intense ones to add on top of something that I haven't learned yet. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm doing my best Mm -hmm. to learn as wisely as possible. (laughs) I, I applaud your efforts. This is a fantastic idea. Thank you. I'm real. I'm really excited about it. Excellent. So, as soon as you, as soon as something goes live, please let us know so that we can absolutely uh, we can help get the word out. And I'll throw it in front of the uh, the bike riding feminines in my family. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, only a pleasure. Only a pleasure. Uh, the so yeah, you've got a you've got a heck of a lot on your plate. Are you still? I mean, starting up a business is not uh, not an easy thing. So time-wise, are you still having a chance to do cosplay? Yes. It's, <laughs> yes, I am. It's not as much as I would like, but I am currently putting together a Dolores costume from Westworld. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that one's been on my docket for a while, and I actually just recently almost the perfect base fabric for it. Right. And uh, a good friend of mine has been helping me actually dye this fabric to the right shade of blue. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this coming Monday, we're actually going to like, we've done, I think like 12 test dyes. Wow. And we finally found the right shade and the right combination. Okay. So we're going to actually dye like the full yardage now. Wow. Have you, and, uh, yeah. have you eyed a, a convention to debut this at? I have not yet. Mm. So. We will I, wait it's, with bated it's nice. Oh, yes. I will, I will keep people posted. <laughs> Absolutely. I think right now with, with juggling uh, Moto Muse and also I've taken on some freelance work uh, for doing cloth and hair so uh, just something to help help keep keep the bills paid, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I I haven't officially set a deadline for myself on that one because I just kind of want to enjoy the process right now. Sure, sure. I I think I may have taken up far too much of your time with this conversation, <laughs> uh, but um, but I've really enjoyed it. The the, the stories are amazing, and your your journey to where you are, it seems it seems that when you when you hit a spot where your interests, your passions, they don't collide, they combine, they merge. Uh, it's a really fun and exciting time for that person. And it seems like it's it's hit that for you. I I couldn't have said it better. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, it's it's one of those things where I look back on my life and 
the journey I've had and where, where I am now. And there are so many little things that have just like, I could never have planned it to come out the way it has. Mm -hmm. Um, When I started cosplaying in high school, I never would have imagined that it would have led me to a fashion show at San Diego comic-con or to, to starting my own company for motorcycles, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, um, I feel very, very thankful and very blessed that things have unfolded the way they have. And I couldn't have planned it. Right. And so I, I just like to try to be open to, to where life takes me, I guess. Uh, I'm going to, to wrap up with, normally we wrap up with a particular question, but I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, so what advice would Hannah now give to 16 year old Hannah? Hmm. To 16-year-old Hannah, I was, yeah, I would say to just, to stay strong and know that it's going to get way better. Yeah. Just keep working hard. It's it's all worth it. And it's going to get better. Would 16-year-old Hannah have listened? I'd like to think I would. Yeah. I think I would look at myself and go, I never thought I'd cut my hair that short. short. <laughs> but, okay. but, yeah. All right. Well, that was actually, that was a two-part because the normal one that we finish off with is that uh, uh, we have a number of people who, who are um, creatives in their own right. They're trying to do mm. their own thing, get along uh, in their own passions. So we ask the people who are doing cool things, what piece of wisdom what uh, pearl of wisdom do you have? One piece of advice that you would give to anybody listening out there. I think it might be the same that you uh, would have given 16-year-old Hannah, but I'd afford you the opportunity to uh, you know, to have something different. I would say, yeah, definitely work hard at whatever you're passionate at, but also be open to opportunity mm-hmm. because it can come in the most unexpected forms and take you down the most amazing paths if you let it. Right. So don't don't think you have to have a plan and stick so tightly to it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes straying from the path will take you exactly where you want to be, even if you didn't know that's where you wanted to go. Right. That is excellent advice. Hannah, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, oh, thank you. This was really yeah. wonderful. Oh, I'm, I'm very glad. Thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, Motor Muse gear hitting the shelves soon. Thank you. I am too. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is, it's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back.